This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far-left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello, Salt Lake and the rest of the world. This is the Godless Revolution. This is episode 183. Today is Friday, December 1st. You heard that right? Today is Friday. I am recording all by myself. This is Dan Ellis, your bearded host. Uh, Ryan was out sick this week on Tuesday. Matt had some things going on. He couldn't be here this week after the holiday. Maybe he'll talk about them when we record next week. I was going to record by myself on Tuesday, but I had some shit come up. I was going to record by myself on Wednesday and had some shit come up. Same thing happened again last night, and so today I got off work and came down here into the studio to record this for you. I'm all by myself, so I don't know how long the show will go. Uh, I, if you can't tell, I'm a little congested myself. I think I'm battling a a bit of a head cold, and my voice is kind of going in and out, and uh, don't feel terrific, but I wanted to be sure that we got something out for you guys this week because I was too busy to get anything out last week, and there is a shit ton of things happening in the news. Uh, I wanted to talk about all kinds of things. Uh, There's been news in the atheist community that was very tragic and heartbreaking. We also have a lot of news coming out of Trumpistan. Michael Flynn pled guilty today, and that's very exciting. A lot of news surrounding that. Before we get into all of that, uh, just a quick update on some of the things I've done over the past couple weeks. I hope you all had a fantastic holiday with friends and family. I know I did. We had some relatives come in from out of town. Uh, Tracy and I host Thanksgiving for the whole family over here. We host Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve dinner and uh, Christmas Day. We do breakfast burritos. It's our little tradition that we do. What, What kind of traditions do you guys do at your home? Write in and let us know. Send us an email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com. I'm curious to know how many other people out there, while you may not celebrate Jesus's birthday, <laughs> may still celebrate some form of Christmas or Giftmas or Christmas or Xmas or whatever you want to call the holiday that you celebrate at your own house. Uh, how you celebrate it, what you do, any of your family traditions. I think that'd be fun. It'd be a fun episode to talk about. Uh, In addition to hosting people, um, Tracy and I went and saw a screening of Monty Python and the Holy Grail that had an interview with uh, John Cleese afterward, and he's just delightful. Fantastic guy, very funny. I would have actually preferred that the whole thing was just a Q&A session or interview or presentation or talk from him because he was the best part of it for sure. Fantastically funny, very charming guy. Uh, That was a whole lot of fun. I went to a tailgating party for the University of Utah Utes uh, for their senior game. It's the last home game of the year. I think it may have even been the last game period of the year. But that was a lot of fun. Got to hang out with some friends, took Tracy's brothers and a couple of their friends. 
and got to hang out and tailgate with some dear friends of mine for a while before the game and then watched the Utes beat Colorado University, which was a whole lot of fun. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, the Raiders beat the Broncos, so that was good news for me anyway. I, my team has sucked for more than a decade now, and they're just getting a little bit of life over the past couple of years. Uh, hopefully they'll have a better season last year, but I'm very happy to hear that they, well, I was happy to watch that they beat the Broncos. Their Broncos are my least favorite team with the, with match, with Matt's Patriots being a close second. But all in all, it was a great couple of weeks. I hope you guys have had a great couple of weeks also, and that you're ready to get back into the news. So let's do that, shall we? Hey everybody, it's X from the Utah Outcasts podcast and YouTube channel, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Hello, ma'am. My goodness, you have such an attractive little garden here. Oh, thank you, young man. I just planted those flowers last week. My, how they grow. Yes, ma'am. We're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, the Mormons. That's right. I'm, I'm Elder Young, and this is Elder White. Well, you two boys can just buck right off. Ma'am? Ma you heard me. Take that Book of Mormon and shove it so far up your righteous asses that you choke. Soul-soliciting pickfuckers. Gosh. Please stand by. The Godless Revolution will continue in a moment. Here follows a public service announcement for the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast. <laughs> Greetings, Americans. Over here in London, we are well aware that not all of you are loud, xenophobic, racist, sexist, religious nuts. But many of your politicians who display these frightful traits seem to be quite popular. Particularly a certain wall-obsessed, small-handed, best word-using, daughter-perving, war-inciting, candy-floss-headed clown. To those of you who choose to follow such balderdash, we strongly recommend not to listen to the two sceptical chaps. It probably won't be your cup of tea. Otherwise, give us a listen. Each episode, we cover any news or current affairs from across the globe. Things that annoy or delight us. That's two, as in the number two. And sceptical with a K. The wrong way to spell it. Cheerio! Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. All right, I'm going to play a little clip that will uh, give you some background information on more of what I'm going to be talking about in just a minute. So let me play this clip for you real quick. It is a family tragedy that no one saw coming until a sinister call to 911. San Antonio police say a man killed his wife before taking his own life, and tonight, the adult son of that couple speaks to Eyewitness News reporter Priya Shreether. Monday morning, police and SWAT respond to a 911 call from 54-year-old Scott Smith saying he was going to kill his wife, then himself. After shooting tear gas into the home, police entered to find Smith and his 46-year-old wife Jennifer dead in an upstairs room of their north side home. Hundreds of miles away, Scott's 27-year-old son, Aaron, found out about the unfolding family tragedy on social media. I found out through Facebook, through my father's post, saying goodbye, and it was in the middle of the day. Then he read there had been a murder-suicide. He had told me that 
Jennifer and him were going to get a divorce. I could tell in his voice he was really sad about everything. Um, definitely didn't expect any of this to happen, though. The Smiths' three young daughters, Laura, Lily, and Amber, were at school at the time of the shooting. Today, they're with Jennifer's parents, and the family says they'll be moving to Arizona early next year to start over. Aaron says his father retired from the Army and was working as a realtor, and also broadcasting an atheist podcast. Right now, he says he just wants to make sure his sisters get the help they need through this devastation. A GoFundMe page set up by the family has already raised around $25,000. I know the money won't ever make things right, but I hope that later on in their life it will make things easier for them. A family trying to find the strength to move forward. Priya Shreether, Ken's 5, Eyewitness News. Those of you who are longtime listeners to the show may remember that we had Scott Smith along with Vicki Getman and Rebecca McGraw as guests on the show for episode 99 titled Atheist and Humanist Services at Lackland Air Force Base. Uh, they joined us to talk about uh, setting up the secular humanist services at Lackland, um, and that was that was something that was kick-started through uh, Taylor Grin, who has been on the show several times and is a huge contributor to the show through his website Grin and Barrent, dot com, uh, compiling news stories for us. Uh, Taylor was the airman who uh, first requested some sort of uh, secular service at Lackland before he entered uh, training there. And then it was, you know, a, a group effort to get all that going and to keep it running. And so we had Vicky, Scott, and Rebecca on to talk about the services there and and what's been going on. And, you know, I, I interacted with Scott here and there. Uh, like I said, he was a guest on the show here for episode 99. I recorded some things for a show that he was doing for Recovering from Religion, which is the atheist podcast that was mentioned in the uh, news clip that I played for you. Uh, that was something that Scott was doing with Emily Carp, and I had sent in a story for one of their episodes. and. Uh, the email I got back from him was uh, just an email that said, Dan, possibly the best story we've ever had. Yeah, it was a little long, but it was really spot on. I They asked for short clips, and I sent in a clip that was like 15 minutes long and had explained to him that, you know, I knew it was long and I apologized for it being a little lengthy, but uh wanted to make sure that I got the whole thing out there. Uh, he continues in his email and said, My Sunday school experience was very much like yours. I actually got kicked out for asking too many questions. And thank you for the very kind words at the end of your story. If you could just do me one more favor and send me links to everything, blah, blah, blah. Just ask me to send him links to uh, my social media stuff and stuff for the Godless Revolution so that he could include that in the show notes for their episode. Uh, that was back in April of this year. Um... I don't, I don't know what to say about all that has happened. I mean, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know Scott very well. Uh, what I did know of him, I liked. Uh, I know that, you know, paradoxically or ironically, he was a champion for mental health issues. Uh, mentioned them several times 
during the Recovering from Religion podcast uh, that he and Emily hosted together. Um, I know that uh, there apparently was a side of Scott that I didn't know existed or, or was not familiar with. Uh, Vicky Getman, I know, uh, in particular, has been pretty distraught over the whole situation. She and Jennifer had a falling out a while ago uh, because uh, Vicky had grown tired of the way Scott spoke about women. Uh, she she apparently picked up on the idea that he was very sexist or misogynist and would make comments about women all the time. And so Vicky had complained to Jennifer about that, and they had a bit of a falling out. And Vicky was hoping to re eventually reconcile with Jennifer, and unfortunately now that will never happen. Uh, Vicky made a post about Jennifer on her Facebook timeline that I'll read for you. Uh, it says her name was Jennifer. Jennifer was such an amazing mother. She did everything with and for her kids. She was so proud of everything they did and worked so hard to make sure that they were healthy and happy. She worked full-time, came home, helped the kids with homework, cleaned up, cleaned up the house, did laundry. She loved being a mom. Jennifer loved to make ribs. She made some of the best ribs I've ever had. She made them for star potlucks and was so very humble when receiving praise. Jennifer, also, Jennifer always took care of the little details. When we would have a potluck, we were concerned about food, drinks, and paperwares. In addition to her fabulous, fabulous ribs, she was the one that brought hand sanitizer, sunscreen, and trash bags. Jennifer loved IT. When she would talk about her work, most people were completely lost. She would make everyone feel at ease, downplay her intelligence, and say that it is nothing really. She was so incredibly intelligent, but wasn't condescending or arrogant. Jennifer could talk so fast. She would get excited about what we were doing or something she was interested in, and she would talk so fast. I'd have to tell her, I'd have to stop her and ask her to repeat things. Jennifer was an incredible friend. When Jed and I had to go away for a weekend, Jennifer immediately volunteered to watch three of my girls. Our girls were best friends. She kept my kids for four days. Two of those days were school days, and I told her they could miss school for those days. She wouldn't have it. She lived over 40 minutes away from my kids' schools, and she drove them there and picked them up both days. Jennifer actually took off of work to take care of my kids. Jennifer believed in a woman taking care of herself. She loved to go shooting every Sunday with her shooting team. She said it was her time. She said her favorite pist she had her favorite pistol and looked forward to going out shooting with her team. Jennifer loved Star. Uh this is me just cutting in here to to mention that Star I apologize I don't know what the acronym stands for. Uh uh, apparently it was a uh, uh, atheist family group is what I'm getting out of what I've been able to read about all of the events and everything. Uh, Jennifer, uh, uh, going back to uh, Vicky's post here, Jennifer came to me and said that she wanted to help me create a group for families, community service, and hopefully one day buy a property so that we could have our own atheist camp. She put so much money, time, and energy into Star. When her husband began breaking our bylaws and not representing Star well, he decided to leave Star and she left Star with him. Jennifer and I hadn't talked in over a year. I had disagreements with her husband and was concerned with the level of control he had over her. 
Jennifer worked so hard with her career and her family. Jennifer was so strong and independent, but he controlled her. Talking about it and how I was not a fan of her husband made me ang- made her angry with me. I reached out a few times, but I hadn't talked with her in over a year. She was very upset with me, and losing her friendship was heartbreaking. Jennifer was so easy to be around. She was the kind of mom that made me think. If every child had a mom like Jennifer, the, w- the world would be such a different place. Such a kinder, more gracious, more thoughtful, more loving place. It truly feels like a beautiful light has gone out, and the world is a bit dimmer for it. Maybe I can send money in care packages and letters and pictures when the opportunity becomes available, which I will do, but I know it can't touch the pain those girls are enduring. I can't give them, I can't give them back Jennifer, their mom who gave so much as a mother and yet always felt that she wasn't doing enough. I'm so grateful to have known Jennifer. Jennifer's murderer is getting so much love and support right now. There is much, there is so much being said about her murderer. Jennifer, I want people to know her name, Jennifer, and how incredibly loving, wonderful, beautiful, and intelligent she was. Jennifer's murderer was planned and carried out because she was leaving him. He chose to leave their children as orphans. He chose to forever change the lives of their children and take away their childhood. They can never go home again. He has ruined the holidays for the girls for the, rest of, for the rest of their lives. They will never be able to have a Thanksgiving and not think of the last one they had before their mother was murdered. This murderer thought so little about his children that he not only took their mother away from them forever, he did it a few weeks before Christmas. The only thing he did not take from them was their very lives. He did not flip out. It was not an emotionally charged fight that escalated. Jennifer's murder was meticulously planned. Jennifer should be the recipient of all of this love and support. Jennifer's name should be the one on everyone's lips. Jennifer will never be forgotten. Jennifer, I love and miss you. I will forever be heartbroken. I'm sorry we couldn't reconcile our friendship. I understand your loyalty to your husband. Finding out you were leaving him made me so proud of you. You were so strong. Maybe we could have healed our friendship and maybe not. I will always love your girls, and if they want, and if your family will let me, I will continue to be a part of their lives to make sure they remember the Jennifer that I know and love. Recovering from religion put out their own statement a couple days after the incident that says, Now that we have had some time to reflect on the tragic evident on the, I'm sorry. Now that we have had some time to reflect on the tragic events of Monday, the board of RFR wants to let our supporters and volunteers know what steps we are taking to move forward. Recovering from religion, first and foremost, prioritizes treatment and support for those suffering from mental health illness and supporting those struggling when doubting religion. This crisis has had a devastating effect on our organization and volunteers. In the last 48 hours, we have focused on supporting those affected and learning how we can assist the surviving family. To that end, we have done three things. First, all RFR volunteers have received the opportunity to get crisis counseling. Second, we have also examined the role of the previous podcast episodes. While many people told us they played a meaningful part in their recovery, we do not wish to have any association with the memory of Mr. Smith. As a result, we have removed the entire podcast series and are putting the podcast on hold for the time being. We believe taking it down is the very least we can do in support of the remaining family members. Third, we are promoting the the fundraiser for the Smith children. This is not an RFR fundraiser and has been set up and approved by the family of Jennifer Smith. 
We are sharing to raise awareness of the Smith children's needs and to, and to support them and their family at this time. Finally, we condemn the murder of Jennifer Smith and plan to contribute in any way possible toward the amelioration of harm to her children, as well as providing support to our network of volunteers who have been shaken by the actions of their former colleague. We want to be clear to all who support RFR. There is no excuse for abuse or violence. Depression, PTSD, mental illness, none are excuses for violence. Mental health experts agree. It is a disservice to those who suffer from these conditions who never engage in violence or abuse. Concerning this and other cases like it, the responsibility is wholly in the hands of the perpetrator. As we move forward over the next days and weeks, we will keep you updated on the progress of the fundraiser and any other relevant information. We have received many messages of support over the last two days and are grateful. At the same time, those who most need our support are those in the family. Part of the reason that I didn't record on Tuesday was because I wanted to make sure that when I did record, I had a link to point our listeners to to go and help these these three young girls who are now without a mother and father uh, due to the cowardly act of their father. I, I don't I don't have any other way to express it other than to say that it was cowardly. You know, they, there's there's absolutely no reason at all that he had to take his children's mother away from them. If he clearly he had his own demons, he he was battling depression. I hear, uh, I've seen posts commenting that he may have had PTSD and, you know, a lot of speculation out there. None of that matters compared to the loss that these children are feeling and, and are going to have to face for the rest of their lives. Now they lost their father and their mother and they lost their mother because of the cowardly acts of their father. And I don't know, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating, it's tragic, it's something that I don't think anybody really saw coming. Everybody who I've seen talk about this, uh, from Anthony Magnabosco to Phil Session to to Vicky to anybody else, any post that I've seen anywhere, nobody saw this type of thing happening. Nobody saw that this was something Scott was capable of doing. And it breaks my heart that these three little girls now have their lives completely upended. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know. I don't, I can't, I can't even, I don't feel like I can even say anything else about it because I didn't know any of them well, very well. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what these girls are going to have to go through for the rest of their lives. Um, Aaron Raw had a hosted a podcast with Vicky and Lalandra uh, and Phil Session, where they talked about uh, the incident and and how it all unfolded and what they knew about it. Phil Session and Anthony Magnabosco both had traveled to the Smith home when they first heard about it, when they saw Scott's cryptic post on Facebook that just said goodbye. Uh, I'm going to just post links to the the fundraising show uh, that Aaron put out with those people on it and a link to the GoFundMe uh, for the Smith Girls. 
I've donated. I hope that our listeners can scratch together a little bit of funds and donate as well. Uh, these girls are going to need a ton of help going forward. And I don't know. I just, I hope that we can all contribute to some sort of healing and help for, for the children that are left behind. This is Phil Ferguson of the cleverly titled The Phil Ferguson Show. And thank God you're listening to The Godless Revolution. And then all of a sudden it hit me. I knew who I wanted to be. And I untied myself from that catapult and here I am. Well, that is such a relief. I know, I know. So if you have about 45 minutes, I'd like to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, shit. The next rant will start right after this. Hey, everybody, we're the Utah Outcasts, and we want you to listen to our show. We're a rowdy bunch of super liberal atheists that reside in the state of Utah who bring you current events and featured content on a semi-weekly basis. Whether it's us poking fun at the religious right or ranting at the world in which we all reside, we want to borrow your ears for about an hour twice a week. Hey, and don't forget to tell them the best part about it. Oh, yeah. The show's free for all. It is indeed. So if you like free, we're available through iTunes, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Play, Patreon, and even in full HD video via YouTube. Give us a listen. You won't be sorry. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. The president standing in the White House. This happened just a little bit ago. Uh, and he's standing with these Native American code talkers. He's flanked by them. And this is when he makes this comment about Senator Elizabeth Warren. Doesn't mention her by name, but that's who he's talking about. Watch. You have for the country. So that was the ultimate statement from General Kelly, the importance. And I just want to thank you because... You're very, very special people. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. You are special people. You are really incredible people. And I have to, from the heart, from the absolute heart, we appreciate what you've done, how you've done it, the bravery that you displayed, and the love that you have for your country. Tom, I would say that's as, as good as it gets, wouldn't you say? That was the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, the Commander-in-Chief talking to Navajo code talkers who helped during World War II, and he mentions Pocahontas to these code talkers while he's while they're there in the room he's he's talking to them i could not fucking believe i saw it happen live on television when he did this and i couldn't believe it tracy was standing in the kitchen with me and she's talking and i've got the news on in the background and there was this pause and and i was watching television and i saw him say this live at the time and the only response i had at the time was to say motherfucker. I couldn't believe that that came out of this fucking guy's mouth while he's standing there talking to these people. He's, I, I it just, it blew my fucking mind. I couldn't believe that he said this while they're there standing, while they're standing there and he's supposed to be honoring them for their service that he throws out Pocahontas. I couldn't fucking believe it. The good news 
is that maybe we won't be putting up with that for much longer. Hopefully, this fucking clown will be out of the White House before midterms, before the midterm election. And that comes on the heels of today, Michael Flynn pleading guilty to lying to the FBI. Our friend Taylor Grin has prepared uh, Grintel for December 1st. I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. It says that today some monumental things have happened and are about to happen. As I write this, the Senate is still deliberating the tax bill, and earlier this morning, Mike Flynn Sr. made a plea deal with, with Mueller. My intent is to add news at this page as it happens over the next 24 to 48 hours. So by the time you all read this, there will be more information in here, I am sure. Uh, let's start with the Flynn deal. Mike Flynn pled down to lying to the FBI in exchange for his full cooperation with the Mueller investigation. Specifically, he was listed as lying about talking to Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, about de-escalating Russia's response to sanctions levied against them by then-President Obama for the election interference and also about lobbying against an Egyptian U.N. proposal on Israeli land expansion. Multiple legal experts have weighed in on this deal, indicating that the only reason it would be offered to Flynn is if he could implicate two or more people in a similar level of authority as himself or someone above him. The only people on his level would have been Reince Priebus, Kushner, or Sessions, and only Trump and Pence would lie above him. After Trump's lawyer, Ty Cobb, said, quote, Nothing about the guilty plea or the charge implicates anyone other than Mr. Flynn. However, in the legal documents, both charges, which, remember, Flynn pled guilty to, allege that Flynn sought approval from, quote, senior members of the transition team. Bloomberg is asserting that Kushner is this member or one of them. Update, AP is reporting that KT McFarland, an ex-deputy national security advisor, also discussed the sanctions interaction with Flynn. Ty Cobb described Mike Flynn as a, quote, former Obama administration official, end quote, attempting to distance the White House from its former cabinet-level national security advisor, senior transition, senior transition team member, and campaign advisor, whom the Obama administration had advised against aligning with. We've caught wind of two primary counter-narratives from the right on this. The first asserts that this is what Flynn lied to Pence about and how he got fired. The problem with that response is that Pence did not claim to be aware of Flynn's back channels until a month later when it baffles belief he didn't know about it at the time, given the guilty plea's assertion that Flynn sought feedback from higher-ups when negotiating with Kislyak. The other argument made is that this is a good thing. The future president is settling policy or is setting policy with other leaders. Not only would that be a serious departure from presidential tradition, but also a violation of the Hatch Act. No matter how you shake it and comparable to Nixon's interference with the Vietnam peace talks. The most notable two problems are written plainly in Flynn's plea, a coordinating a response to sanctions from the current administration and a reversal in stance for the incoming administration that would undermine a pending UN vote. And besides the Grintel on that, there is a fantastic roll-up. If anybody out there isn't following Seth Abramson on Twitter, it's just at Seth Abramson, uh, A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N. Seth spelled like Seth. Duh. S-E-T-H. <laughs> if you're not following him out on Twitter, you should do that because he makes fantastic threaded comments about things that are happening in the news. And 
His threaded comment about this is a bit long, but it's all so fucking cool and important, and he makes such great points and things that you're like, aha, and he puts it all together, ties it all together wonderfully, just like our friend Taylor does over at Grintel. But I wanted to read through uh, Seth Abramson's little tweet storm thread here, which is all very, very cool. Seth's uh, tweet thread starts out with, First, it's important to understand that Mueller has entered into a plea deal with Flynn in which Flynn pleads guilty to far less than the available evidence suggests he could be charged with. This indicates that he has cut a deal with Mueller to cooperate in the Russia probe. We've already seen Mueller do this once before in the probe with George Papadopoulos, who was charged with the same crime as Flynn making false statements to secure his cooperation with the Russia probe. The Papadopoulos plea affidavit emphasized facts were being left out. Flynn is widely regarded as dead to rights on more charges than making false statements, notably FARA violations, failing to register as a foreign agent of Turkey under the Foreign Agent Registration Act. There's recently been evidence he was part of a kidnapping plot too, which is fucking crazy. If you guys haven't heard about this kidnapping plot, it has something to do with Flynn kidnapping, uh, I believe it was an imam living somewhere here in the U.S. and returning him to Turkey like a private U.S. citizen kidnapping another U.S. citizen and taking them to another country. It's fucking wild stuff. Flynn is widely regarded as dead to rights on where... uh, Sorry, I already read that. Getting charged with just one count of making false statements is a great deal for Mike Flynn. It doesn't necessarily mean he'll escape incarceration, but A, it makes that a possibility depending on what the parties and judge say and do, and B, any time served may be minimal. This is tweet number five of, I believe, 100 tweets, so stick with me. (laughs) What this suggests is Flynn brings substantial inculpatory info, information tending to incriminate others, to the table. Unlike Papadopoulos, Flynn was going to be, because of his his position in the administration, a primary target of the probe, so he had to offer a lot to get this deal. And remember that he did this, this is me talking, remember that Flynn, way back, uh through his attorney, said that he has a great story to tell and he wants to tell it to Mueller, which is something that at the time everybody thought, well, that's really weird that he would say that. He's, he's bucking for some kind of deal with the Mueller investigation. Deals like this are, this is number six, deals like this are offered only when a witness can incriminate someone higher up the food chain than them. In the case of the nation's former national security advisor, the only people above him in the executive branch hierarchy are the president and the vice president. Number seven, there may be other targets in the Russia probe, such as Attorney General Sessions, at Flynn's same level in the hierarchy, but unless he could incriminate two or more of them, a deal like this would not be offered to him. And there aren't two or more at this level, or at his level in this case. What this indicates, beyond any serious doubt, is the following Special Counsel Bob Mueller, the former director of the FBI, believes Mike Flynn's testimony will incriminate the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, or both of these men. Which is fucking amazing. That's good news. Woohoo! Wave your arms in the air and blow whistles and all that kind of shit. It's fucking awesome. Number nine, for this reason, what's about to happen in 50 minutes is far and away the biggest development thus far in the Trump-Russia probe, and likely the biggest development in U.S. politics since President Nixon resigned from office during the Watergate scandal. This is historic. Number 10. The Papadopoulos plea paled in comparison to this because Papadopoulos was a top national security advisor to Mr. Trump, 
but still at nothing like Flynn's level of access and authority. The Manafort indictment pales in comparison because it was just an indictment, not a plea. Number 11. The range of crimes for which Flynn can incriminate the president is unknown, but we have some sense of what could be involved. The first thing to understand is that Flynn had access to and influence with Trump on national security issues beginning in the summer of 2015. That's not last year or this year, but the prior year, 2015. Also, it's been a long time. The last known contact between Trump and Mike Flynn was late April 2017, meaning the two men were in contact for approximately one year and nine months. Given that these 21 months make up almost the entirety of Trump's political career, this is a huge swath of time. Number 13. During their last known contact, April of 2017, we know Trump told Flynn, at a minimum, to stay strong. Stay strong. After which Flynn stopped cooperating with investigators. So the first thing Flynn can tell Mueller is all Trump said, and if he obstructed justice during that April 2017 call. Number 14, but of course the story to tell that Flynn's attorney bragged the ex-NSA had back in late March of 2017 goes well beyond obstruction allegations. Flynn was at the center of numerous contacts with Russia that he can report the president knew about and perhaps even ordered. Flynn met with the Russian ambassador and Jared Kushner in early December 2016 to discuss a Kremlin back channel that some have argued would have constituted an act of espionage. Did Mr. Trump know about this? Did he direct Flynn and or Kushner to pursue this back channel? Number 16. This December 2016 event underscores that Flynn's a threat not just to Trump, but to others. It's easy to forget that. Just because Flynn, it appears, can incriminate the president doesn't mean he can only incriminate the president. Many others are at risk, including Kushner. Indeed, today's plea coming so close on the heels of Mueller asking Kushner to come in and talk about Flynn suggests Kushner is also a target of the Russia probe. Perhaps Mueller didn't think Kushner would flip on family, so he set him up to make false statements about Flynn. Which is a really interesting development, right? That Mueller could already know this information about Mike Flynn and he already knows this information about Kushner, and he's just playing them off of each other by interviewing them, asking them different questions, seeing who's going to lie about what information. Because there are a lot of other corroborating people in this whole story, right? Number 18. This is critical. Flynn pleading guilty today means he was cooperating with Mueller before this. Now, just take a minute there. He pled guilty today, but clearly he had been working with Mueller for a while. I mean, you don't just draft this kind of thing in the wee morning, in the, in the early morning hours of the day and have him agree to it and go to court and do all that. No, he's been working with him for, for some time. Uh, the tweet continues and says, you don't, offer, you don't offer value to a prosecution after you plead. You offer it beforehand via what's called a proffer of info that incriminates others. That's what earns you a deal. Number 19. So it's entirely possible that when Mueller called Kushner in to talk about Flynn, he already had everything Flynn planned to give him, meaning he was testing Kushner to see if Kushner would lie about events Mueller already fully Mueller was already fully informed about via Flynn's prior uh, prior proffer. Number 20, that proffer may have incriminated not just Trump and Kushner and perhaps Pence, but any number of Trump natsec or simply top aides. Manafort, Sessions, Clovis, Hicks, Lewandowski, Page, and Gordon, to name a few. We may not know, however, until someone else is indicted. 
Number 21. Miller isn't obligated to tell the public what Flynn told him. We'll first learn of it, for all but Trump, via future indictments of those Flynn incriminated. As for Trump, he can't be criminally tried as POTUS and probably can't even be indicted, so it'll work differently. And this is where I have some questions. I understand that Trump can't be criminally tried while he is serving as president, so what can they do to get him out of there other than impeachment? That's something that I'm going to have to look into a little bit more. Maybe somebody out there knows and can post some comments or send us a message and let us know uh, how, how that will all go down other than an impeachment process coming into play and, and being removed from office and then being possibly criminally indicted. But, uh, you know, how, how else can we get him out of office other than through the 25th Amendment or being impeached? What Flynn told Miller about Trump will first appear in an indictment of a third party, quite possible if the third party was slash is close enough to Trump, or else in the final report, Mueller is asking with giving, Mueller is tasked with giving Rod Rosenstein at the DOJ, though that may take a while to come. 23. How long it will take Mueller to issue indictments based on Flynn's proffer? It's hard to say. It depends on what evidence was given, what evidence Mueller already had, and what additional investigation he wants to do on that person, perhaps to bring further charges, and so on. Number 24. But Mueller may act on Flynn's proffer at any time, which means, and here's another critical point, the daily harrowing watch to see if Trump will attempt to fire special counsel Bob Mueller begins in earnest now. If Trump moves to fire Mueller, all hell will break loose. Which is absolutely true. If Donald Trump decides, like today, he's going to fire Mueller, shit's going to blow up. There were other news reports earlier today that he was thinking about firing Tillerson on Monday. And then later on in the day, Trump came out and said that, no, he's not planning to fire Tillerson. So who knows? I mean, by the time you guys hear this, Trump could have already tried to fire Mueller. The cities are on fire. Who, I don't know, who the fuck knows what, where this is going to go from here? The, but this is crazy, crazy breaking news today. Number 25, I've long said that Trump will move to fire Mueller simply because doing so would quickly become one of his only options for self-preservation when slash if Mike Flynn or another top associate entered into the cooperation deal with the special counsel. Well, we're finally here. Number 26, as I've said, we now have reason to believe to a near certainty that Flynn can, that Flynn can incriminate Trump, and as noted, the range of potential crimes is vast. Did Flynn tell Trump and or Pence the truth about his Russia contacts as they were happening despite what the White House has claimed? Remember, besides a long course of conduct involving both obstruction of justice and witness tampering of Sally Yates, of Comey, of Jr., of Flynn himself, of Sessions, and of various congressional investigators, Trump is being looked at for aiding and abetting computer crimes. Number 28. In the aiding and abetting computer crimes pr probe, the question is A, when Trump knew Russia was committing crimes against the United States, and B, whether and how Trump offered Russia anything of financial or political value ostensibly for free after he had this knowledge. Number 29. If Donald Trump learned Russia was committing crimes against America and subsequently offered unilaterally policy shifts of political or financial value directly to Russian agents, either himself or through intermediaries, he's guilty of a crime as great as the underlying one. Number 30. We know Trump knew there was a high likelihood, 
the legal standard in this case, Russia was committing crimes against America as of August 17, 2016, when he received his first security briefing as a presidential candidate. A speech in late July suggests he knew it even earlier. Number 31. But given that Mike Flynn didn't dined with Vladimir Putin in Moscow in December of 2015, after he'd been a key Trump campaign for foreign policy and national security advisor for four months, it's possible Trump had this knowledge as early as the fall of 2015 or the winter of 2015 to 16. Number 32. This is the key information Mike Flynn can offer, what Trump knew about Russian crimes and when, and also what actions he directed his national security advisory apparatus to take possibly in response to this knowledge, and when. For instance, secret sanctions negotiations. Number 33. We know Flynn was engaged in secret sanctions negotiations with Russia that Trump rather oddly said he would have told him to engage in throughout December of 2016, but we have no idea if this was the first time such negotiations occurred. Flynn will have this information. Number 34. Flynn will also know exactly what occurred as the White House tried to cover up these illicit December 2016 sanctions negotiations or any earlier ones, including what Trump and Pence knew of them and when and how and when they coordinated lying to American voters about them. Remember that Trump not only tried to get Comey to drop the case against Flynn, suggesting he was scared about what that case would uncover, he also tried to convince his aides to let him rehire Flynn after his firing, and then called Flynn to tell him to, quote, stay strong. Number 36. While Trump also exhibited some fear about what Manafort could reveal to investigators, keeping him on as an unpaid advisor through February 2017 after firing him as an unpaid campaign manager in the summer of 2016, he's shown much more concern about Mike Flynn's situation. One thing is clear. Mueller charged Flynn with the most innocuous lies he could to shield from the public and far more importantly, from President Trump and his allies, at least for now, the extent of what Flynn has told him. A longer charging document would reveal too much. Number 39. The first allegation in the single-count charging document is that Flynn lied about asking Russia to moderate its response to the U.S. decision to level new sanctions in December 2016. Presumably, Flynn made this request on a representation Trump would undo those new sanctions. Number 40, the second allegation dating from December 22, 2016, the first was December 29, 2016, involves Flynn asking Russia to take a particular stance on a UN resolution. While both these acts violate the Logan Act, private citizens can't negotiate with foreign governments, they're just appetizers. Number 41, for Mueller to be so guarded in that information he's willing to reveal in his single-count indictment, as we know Mike Flynn lied to the FBI about far more serious things than Mueller has disclosed, confirms indirectly that Flynn's proffer to the FBI was quite explosive. That said, the UN resolution had to do with Israel, and we know Israel had reached out to Kushner about the same resolution, so there's a possibility that the second allegation against Flynn will give the lie to things Kushner told the FBI about his contacts with Israel. But remember, when the FBI sat down to discuss Flynn's Russia, Russia contacts with him, they would have asked him about all his recent, recent Russia contacts. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Recent Russia contacts. Including, for instance, his December 15 trip to Moscow to dine with Putin. So the topics Flynn lied about could date back years. Number 44. When I get a number of new readers, as today people ask me to restate my bona fides, 
Harvard Law School, 2001, public defender for eight years in two jurisdictions. Trained at Georgetown, Harvard as a criminal investigator. Represented 2,000-plus defendants in cases up to homicide. I've worked at three public defenders since 1996, one federal, and have testified in federal criminal cases as a defense investigator. Current member in good standing of the New Hampshire Bar and the Federal Bar for the District of New Hampshire, I now teach legal advocacy at University of New Hampshire. Number 46. Another key point many will forget. Flynn was so scared about the extent of his criminal liability as Trump's pre-election advisor and post-election national security advisor that in March 2017, his lawyers took the extraordinary step of publicly offering to cooperate with federal investigators. And this is something that I mentioned earlier, that when that happened, everybody looked at that as being really fucking weird that Flynn, through his attorney, would say, oh, he's got a great story to tell, and he wants to tell it, but he's going to need something in return. Well, it sounds like he got something in return, and that something is not spending the rest of his life in prison. Number 47. Usually, this sort of offer is made privately, and usually it's made somewhat further along in a federal investigation than was the case with Flynn, who made the offer just a few weeks after he was fired by Trump. It was after that offer that Trump told him to stay strong. At the time, Flynn's lawyer said he had, quote, a story to tell. It was clear Flynn and his attorney believed enough other potential witnesses had similar inculpatory information about Trump that they needed to race to the courthouse, as we say, to get a deal before others. Number 49. It can't be overstated that Flynn had been assumed to be one of the primary targets of the Trump-Russia probe, so him being given a sweetheart deal by federal law enforcement means the story to tell that he had was a very, very good one in special counsel Bob Mueller's view. And with that, we'll take a quick little break and be back on the other side. Hi, I'm Lucian Greaves, spokesperson and co-founder of the Satanic Temple. Check out my website, grayfaction.org, if you want to be disgusted and alarmed. You're listening to Godless Revolution. A Trump campaign supervisor told Papadopoulos, quote, I would encourage you to pursue contact with Russians, and that he had done great work. You know, it speaks to the sheer stupidity of the people involved here that so many of them often left written records of their potentially criminal actions. It's like if during Watergate we had an email chain of Howard Hunt saying, about to break in, and, and Nixon replying, noise. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. Welcome back. Hopefully my voice will hold out a bit longer here while we read through the rest of this uh, tweet thread from Seth Abramson. Number 50. Update. CNN confirms Flynn has now pled guilty. Technically, he pled to four false statements, though they were paired. He lied about two statements he made to the Russians and their responses to those two statements. One about U.S. sanctions policy and one about Israel. It's very telling that U.S. media has received no official response from the White House about this. Remember how quickly they came out with a party line about Papadopoulos' plea, even the Manafort and Gates indictments? This is so bad, there's nothing for them to say. And what can they say, really? I mean, the only thing they can say is to try to distance themselves from Flynn now, but that ship has fucking sailed. Number 52. You can read the available charging document from the Flynn case here and note that, for this being perhaps the most significant indictment in U.S. politics of our lifetimes, its brevity is truly astounding and underscores how much more is coming. And then there's a link to the charging documents. 
Number 53, breaking news, Flynn told the FBI that Trump ordered him to make contact with the Russians. And then it's got a link to breaking news from ABC. Uh, actually, I can, I'll, I'll play this clip here for you. Getting some new news here from the White House, uh, particularly on the role of Jared Kushner here. Now, NBC News uh, reporting that two people familiar with the matter are saying that Jared Kushner is the, quote, very senior member of the presidential transition team who's mentioned in the statement of offense that we talked about earlier uh, in terms of speaking to Mike Flynn, the former national security advisor who pled guilty today on December 22nd about the U.N. resolution regarding Israel. So one of the mysteries from that statement of offense now cleared up the very senior official, two people telling NBC News, was Jared Kushner himself. Now, the question is, what kind of pressure will that put on President Trump, uh, given that his son-in-law is now said to be one of the figures who was involved in all of these conversations that were laid out by the special counsel's office earlier today? The White House, for its part, has said that nobody else was implicated in this document today other than Mike Flynn, who they said was only a part of the administration for a very short period of time, uh, minimizing his role here at the Trump White House. Brian, back over to you. So they're doing the only thing they can, which is to try to distance themselves from Flynn at this point. And as I said before, that ship has fucking sailed. Number 54, don't listen to the White House if it claims the only thing Flynn is offering the special counsel is evidence that Trump ordered him to violate the Logan Act which prohibits private citizens from negotiating with foreign governments pre-inauguration. This is far bigger. I've been saying for many months now that the publicity available information that the publicly available information we have strongly suggests that Trump ordered certain of his subordinates to make contact with Russia pre-election, which is an entirely different matter than making such contact post-election. Number 56. With the plea Flynn just entered minutes ago, something significant has died in public discourse. Any possibility that the Trump-Russia probe is, as Trump and his allies have long claimed, either a witch hunt or sour grapes or a nothing burger, this is all 100% real. 57. Those of us in the reality-based community always knew this was real, and all the media reporting on it confirmed it was real. But it now becomes unthinkable that the White House, the world's firm, foremost bastion of fake news right now, could keep claiming this is all bollocks. 58. Minutes ago, someone connected to the White House as someone connected to the White House was, CNN reported, saying that Flynn was acting on his own. Even fewer minutes ago, ABC reported that Flynn was acting on Trump's orders. That's how quickly this administration's network of implausible lies is unraveling. 59. What Flynn pled to carries a maximum penalty of one to five years. Very light for the federal system, again suggesting a sweetheart deal. He could have been charged with more, could have faced more counts of the same charge, and he could still be eligible for a downward revision. Number 60. Mueller allowed argument on a downward revision for George Papadopoulos due to his lack of a prior record, and it appears that could allow Papadopoulos to do six months in a federal prison or even no time at all. So we don't know what Mueller and Flynn have, have agreed to on that score. Number 61. While Flynn is getting a substantial benefit by being deliberately undercharged, if his evidence is very strong, Mueller may also have made an agreement regarding the amount of prison time the government will ask the judge for and how much time it'll allow Flynn to ask for. 62. Another reason the government undercharges a witness it intends to use at trial is to give a future defendant's defense team less material to work with on cross-examination. Obviously, Flynn is shown to be a liar, but you don't want him weighted down with many convictions. The next move for the White House is this one. 
to try to convince the American media and American voters that the only thing Mueller has on Flynn is what Flynn just pled to. Don't be deceived. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this cooperation deals work. Number 64. Update. Court documents show Flynn now says he was in contact with top officials on the transition team as he was discussing U.S. sanctions and the U.N. Security Council resolution on Israel with Russia. All the information we have says one of those officials was Jared Kushner, which is huge news. I mean, you can't for a moment even try to pretend that Jared Kushner knew this and Donald Trump didn't. I mean, sure, Donald Trump is a fucking moron, but we know that Kushner would have been telling him all of this information. Number 65. Kushner was working with the Israelis on the Security Council resolution and, in early December, with multiple Kremlin agents on, it now appears, the sanctions issue. And Kushner was the one who brought Flynn onto the transition, so he'd have been Flynn's critical contact there. Number 66. Update. Flynn has just issued a statement at the courthouse confirming he is cooperating with Special Counsel Bob Mueller in the Trump-Russia probe. 67. Here's former NSA National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's statement. After over 33 years of military service to our country, including nearly five years in combat away from my family and then my decision to continue to serve the United States, it has been extraordinarily painful to endure these many months of false accusations of treason and other outrageous acts. Such false accusations are contrary to everything I have ever done and stood for, but I recognize that the actions I acknowledged in court today were wrong and, through my faith in God, I am working to set things right. My guilty plea and agreement to cooperate with the special counsel's office reflect a decision I made in the best interests of my family and of our country. I accept full responsibility for my actions. I call bullshit on that. He doesn't accept full responsibility for his actions. He's getting his, he's just trying to save his own ass. He doesn't give a fuck about the country. He wanted, he was possibly going to fucking kidnap a guy and take him to another country as a private U.S. citizen. That's fucking nuts. Number 68. Note that the events of today further confirm that Mueller brought Kushner in to talk about Flynn a couple weeks ago as a ploy to see if he, Kushner, would make additional false statements to federal investigators, a felony. In fact, the felony Flynn just pled guilty to. 69. <laughs> so what we've learned today is A, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, is a target of the Mueller probe, and uh, as I and many attorneys have long said. B, Jared Kushner is almost certainly also a target. C. Kushner needs a lawyer. D. Pence may also be a target. Which is wonderful news. That makes me so happy. Because I've mentioned it a few times on the show, but the longer that Pence keeps saying that, no, Donald Trump is a wonderful human being, there's no collusion, he's a straight arrow, blah, blah, blah. As long as Pence keeps defending Trump, he's just cutting himself lower if in in the case that Trump is removed from office and is going to make himself that much more feckless as president if he becomes president, if he's not indicted in all of this as well. Number 70. Pence was nominally the head of the transition and Flynn is now saying he was in contact with members of the transition, high-level members, about his conversations with Russia. If Mike Pence was one of them and he lied about it publicly, he could face obstruction charges too, which would also be fantastic. 71. It's too early to know all the dominoes that will fall as a result of what just happened with Michael Flynn, but we know A. 
there will be international effects and consequences, and B, the Trump presidency, including all his policy initiatives, is now gravely imperiled, which is fucking fantastic because they're trying to pass this shitty tax bill. 72. While we can't know what they will do, to legal observers, I think the idea that the, Repub- that the Republicans would push forward with Trump's political agenda as though he isn't now the known target of a federal crit- criminal investigation is almost unthinkable. But we'll see what happens. And I'm betting that the Republicans will try to continue on as if none of this is happening because they live in their own little echo chamber and their own little bubbles and they want to ram this through. So, I don't know, we'll have to see. 73. But as I say this, understand something else. This is the beginning of the end for Trump, but it is not the end. The number of additional shoes that will be dropping in the days, weeks, and even months to come will cause substantial alarm to all Americans of good conscience. I don't know that we could count any Trump supporters in that group. That was just me. 74. Update. U.S. media has just televised the perp walk of the former National Security Advisor to the President of the United States. Important note. See my feed for a continuation of this thread, tweets number 66 and onward. 75. Brief media update. I'm expecting to be on BBC Newsnight, BBC Radio, and Sky News UK later on this evening to discuss today's breaking news. I will post audio and or video when or as available. I'll update this list of appearances as as things are added, changed during the day. 76. Many will forget that Rep. Conaway, Republican Texas, yesterday said he expected to finish his probe of Trump-Russia ties in February and implied the findings were already known, that there was no Trump-Russia collusion. Now Flynn, per ABC, says Trump secretly told him to talk to Russia. 77. It requires minimal flexing of my muscles as a legal expert to point out that the new party line from the White House is not going to fly whatsoever. Obama told Trump not to hire Flynn. Trump's pal Chris Christie told him not to. Jared Kushner and Ivanka overruled them all. 78. Update. Hat tip to at Rob Bennett. James Comey has now weighed in. Comey, like Flynn himself, is a witness in any prosecution political, i.e. via impeachment, or criminal, i.e. via indictment, of Donald Trump for obstruction of justice in the then-pending Flynn case. And it has a tweet from James Comey. The tweet is, But justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. 79. The Guardian's Luke Harding, who literally wrote the book on Trump-Russia collusion, at least the one we we have now, and it's quite excellent, by the way, says this scandal is bigger than Watergate. I agree and have been saying that since December 2016. Number 80. This scandal not only has international implications, but profound implications for the future of the Republican Party. I don't write much about the domino effect this case involves, but we'll be hearing about it more very soon. So this is several times bigger than Watergate. 81. Putin's election interference, as Harding notes, was part of a years-long campaign to destroy the EU, NATO, and yes, the United States. Complicity in that campaign is complicity in an attempt by Putin to reinstate the Cold War and demolish Western democracy. It's that big. And I'm sure that Donald Trump has no fucking clue about any of that because he's just a hapless fucking moron. He has stumbled his way through life on the, on the money that daddy left him. 83. Before this ends, the GOP will have no choice but to disavow Trump as one of the greatest traitors in our history. 
We're getting only the first inkling of that eventuality today. But Trump won't go quietly. He'll take about half the GOP with him to form a new political party. 84. So yes, the Roy Moore situation is very much about certain members of the GOP, Trump particularly, apologizing for and or enabling a pedophile. But understand this, Roy Moore will also be a key leader in the political party Trump eventually forms once the GOP kicks him out. 85. I won't go too far down this line of analysis now, but suffice to say that when I say today's plea is the beginning of the end for Trump's presidency, though we're a long way to go, well into 18, it's also the beginning of the end for many other things and the start of some. 86. More immediately, we have to talk about Pence. If Flynn told Pence anything about his Russia contacts and Pence then lied to America to cover it up, I hope it goes without saying neither Congress nor America will stand for Pence assuming the presidency. This is that big. 87. We know Pence ran the transition. We know he discussed Flynn's Russia contacts with Flynn. We know Pence has lied about big things before. We know Flynn said he revealed his actions to a, quote, top transition official. We've no reason to think Trump or Flynn hid things from Pence. So we must consider that Flynn's full proffer, the one we have barely an inkling of so far, imperils the political and possibly legal future of both the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States, so we'll eventually have to talk succession. 89. I want to underscore... We should not get ahead of this story to that degree, but anyone reading this thread and understanding the full implications of today's news has to begin thinking about it, and preparing emotionally for some possible and quite historic eventualities. 90. These eventualities are so encompassing that for the moment we must say this. A. Many people in the White House appreciate them, and therefore B. Literally nothing that comes from the White House on Russia going forward can be credited in the slightest and I mean it. 91. The correct action for the White House to take as a matter of national security is to say absolutely nothing about what's happened. Anything else A. threatens to destabilize the nation and B. immediately becomes possible evidence in impeachment and or criminal proceedings. Of course, we all know how fucking stupid the president is, so I'm sure that's what he's going to do. He's going to take to Twitter, he's going to start shooting off his big fucking orange mouth, and... More's the pity for him because he's just going to end up cutting his own throat by doing so. 92. The amount of disinformation coming from Fox News and Trump allies right now will be written about in history books for years to come as constituting an infamous domestic disinformation campaign. Americans of good conscience in the White House must refuse to participate. And they absolutely do. I'm sickened by the fact that so many GOP people are providing cover for Donald Trump and for the mess that he's made of our country and the office of the presidency. It's fucking disgusting. It's despicable. 93. If you are in the media right now saying this isn't a big deal or at the White House or other political venues saying that, then you are deliberately impeding the orderly administration of justice the nation will rely upon to expose this presidency for what it is and always was. Every attorney with experience in criminal law now presumes and factors into their analyses that Mueller has sufficient information to indict the President of the United States. He wouldn't have given Flynn this sort of deal otherwise. All of us should be acting carefully with that thought in mind. And I love that he made this tweet because I'm hoping 
that other members in the Republican Party are also reading this or have staffers who are reading it and will let them and will let those leaders know you need to back away from Donald Trump now. You need to back away from him now. You need to do it as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. You need to repudiate every fucking thing he has done because he's a criminal. 95. None of us know for certain what will happen, but legal experts can certainly tell us what is likely to happen, and it's likely enough now that those in positions of responsibility in the media and in government must think very seriously about what they do and say now. 96. If you're reading what people like Andrew McCarthy are saying now in National Review, people who have been wrong at every stage of this investigation as to the direction it was going in, you're not preparing yourself or your family or friends for any future political upheaval. 97. Sadly, we are at a point at which those inclined to read National Review would do better to listen to anonymous Trump allies than read articles by named conservative columnists. MSNBC just spoke to one of Trump's close allies who called this, quote, very, very, very bad for Trump. 98. I don't think people like McCarthy believe what they're writing. I think they suspect this presidency is disintegrating. What I think they want is for as much of Trump's radical political agenda to slip through Congress without debate as possible, and as quickly as possible. Which is what I just mentioned that I think is probably going to happen. They're going to try to ram through tax reform. They're going to try to ram through as much as they can before the presidency completely implodes. 99. This, then, is the key political rather than legal debate of our moment and perhaps our time. Conservatives trying to squeeze as much political value as possible out of a presidency that will end in not just disgrace, but public acceptance as the worst America has ever seen. 100. I'm going to take a break to prepare for a few media interviews. I expect I'll be back in not too long with a new thread or a continuation of this one. I hope that, in the meantime, you'll consider sharing my pinned tweet for any who are still looking for answers about today. And I will be sure to include a link to this thread in the show notes. Uh, he's got a few postscript uh, posts here. There's not a whole lot, so I'll read through them as well. P.S. Breaking news. As predicted early on in this thread, it has now been revealed that Jared Kushner directly ordered Michael Flynn to engage in negotiations with the Russians during the last weeks of the Obama presidency, specifically in December 2016. Postscript 2. This means that during a presidency legally established via national vote, Jared Kushner was working secretly with a hostile foreign nation to stop the proper operation of that duly elected president and presidency. This on its own would be harrowing, but it's just the start. Media update. I'll be interviewed on Bloomberg TV at 2.40 Eastern Standard Time for those interested. Uh, Postscript 4. A useful primer on the events so far today. And it is a link to a news story that says Robert Mueller now has three of Trump's top campaign officials in his clutches. Postscript number five, no word on how Flynn Sr.'s deal affects potential charges against Flynn Jr., but I'd have to say, contra Star Wars, this deal is getting better all the time. If Flynn gets one charge, a chance at no jail time and no charges for his son, that'd mean he had a big story to tell. 101. The statement of the offense recently released on the Flynn case is astounding. Flynn made multiple phone calls to senior officials, officials, plural, on the transition team about his sanctions negotiations, and he received clear marching orders from those officials. It looks like he's still adding tweets to this, and it 
it's currently at 120, which is where I'll stop. But number 102 says, uh, it's already been reported that Kushner is one of the senior transition officials who secretly instructed Flynn to participate in clandestine sanctions negotiations with Russia and then never revealed those orders to anyone outside the campaign. The other could be Pence. 103. Or there could be more than two. Just as Trump Jr. met Kremlin agents in Trump Tower and says he never went upstairs to tell his dad, we now have transition officials at Mar-a-Lago while Trump was there who will presumably claim they didn't inform Trump of their actions. Which, again, is just completely unbelievable. Unbelievable. 104. Obviously, no one will believe multiple transition officials who were with the president at Mar-a-Lago gave orders to Flynn on how to negotiate with the Russians on sanctions and didn't tell Trump. That's not at all consistent with what we know of Trump's management style. He's very hands-on and controlling. 105. But in any case, we can note that Mike Pence was the head of the transition and that the statement of the offense says Flynn told someone at the top of the transition team besides Jared Kushner what he was doing. The list of people that could be is vanishingly small. 106. Flynn and Kushner knew what they were doing was wrong. They would not have widely spread information about their secret and illegal under the Logan Act negotiations with Russia. So the second, or third, and additional senior officials had to be very senior indeed. 107. If you imagine for a moment that Kushner told his father-in-law what was going on, spoiler alert, everyone knows that we'll discover he did. This means that, at best, Trump lied to the vice president and not to the nation, oh, I'm sorry, lied to the vice president and to the nation about his illegal actions regarding Russian sanctions. 108. It can't be overstated how bad today's news is for the president and his presidency. I was asked on Bloomberg TV what I would offer as Trump's best defense, and I said, remain silent, which is the advice you give a guilty person who's dead to rights and about to be charged. 109. I'll be taking a brief break to appear on BBC Newsnight. For those in the UK or those who have it on cable, I'll return immediately thereafter to further analyze what's going on right now. Again, this is a historic day in the United States that will be long remembered. This really is history in the making. 110. I do want to briefly note that, as to the lies Flynn told about the Security Council resolution, the statement of the offense said he spoke to very senior rather than merely senior transition officials. And the statement does reference lies Flynn told relating to Farah. 111. Fox News is claiming that, in addition to Kushner, the other very senior official on the transition who told Flynn to negotiate sanctions and Israel policy with Russia pre-inauguration was K.T. McFarland. But Flynn got McFarland her job. He was above her in the hierarchy. So clearly, this is just Fox News trying to throw out a smokescreen, as they usually do for anybody who's on their team. 112. The chances the only people at Mar-a-Lago who Flynn communicated with during his multiple calls there were Kushner and McFarland is essentially nil. Trump was in the building. And the idea Kushner and McFarland had a plot to keep critical intel from Trump is preposterous. 113. A brief aside to those who watched my BBC Newsnight appearance a few minutes ago and are asking me about Infinite Jest being on my bookshelf. In addition to legal advocacy and digital journalism, I teach post-postmodern literature, including David Foster Wallace. That's it. 114. 
On BBC Newsnight just now, Ron Christie repeatedly mentioned that he was a lawyer as a way, I think, of pulling rank. I never tell people to Google me, but I think Ron may want to Google people before he pulls the lawyer card, especially when they're also longtime attorneys. 115. More importantly, speaking of attorneys, Trumps are saying that nothing in the Flynn plea implicates Trump. Uh, yes, that's exactly the point. Flynn is offering up one or two people above him in the chain of command, and as a prosecutor, you would not telegraph what you know. 116. Both the count Flynn pled to and the accompanying statement of the offense are deliberately vague in a way that should, I'm certain does, terrify rather than embolden Team Trump. Mueller charged Flynn with the least he could and the smallest lies he could for a reason. 117. I worry that folks like Ron Christie, who have been sent out to defend Trump, or, say, Jay Sekulow, who we may hear a lot from soon, have never or only briefly practiced criminal law. That was my specialization, and it's clear these folks are way out of their element on this. 118. My point. When Bloomberg asked today what Trump's defense should be right now, my answer is what a criminal attorney would tell Mr. Trump. Shut the hell up. Say nothing. This is bad. But Trump is surrounded by political minds, some hacks, who don't get the dangers here. 119. The AP confirms McFarland was in on the Flynn-Kushner-Mar-a-Lago phone calls, the ones about illegally negotiating Russian sanctions last December, but the statement of offense says officials, plural, so there may be more, so there may be more reveals coming as to who was involved in those calls. And lastly, number 120, given that it now looks like Mueller was playing Kushner's attorney when he convinced Kushner to come into his office two weeks ago and discuss Mike Flynn, suggesting Kushner's still a target, you have to wonder when Chris Christie becomes a witness, or if he already is one. We live in historic times, my friends. I don't know exactly how this will all shake out, but what I do know is that Donald Trump will not finish his first term as president of the United States of America. I don't know that he will make it to the midterm election. My guess is that he might, uh, but who knows at this point? I mean, it's, it's all happening so, so quickly. I would imagine that perhaps as early as Monday, we could see charging documents or indictments for Jared Kushner and possibly Mike Flynn Jr. So, I mean, but in the meantime, Trump could have fired Mueller. It's all, it's all balls in the air, man. I don't know. It's, but it's going to be a crazy time. We're going to be here to talk to you all about it. With that, I want to go back a little bit uh, to the Grintel report that uh, Taylor had prepared for us earlier today. Well, or that he had prepared, not really knowing that I was going to be recording today and just happened to find his information incredibly useful, as always. Uh, this is talking about the tax bill. Um, it's some major elements of the bill. Uh, one of them is that it would repeal the estate tax, or as Republicans have dubbed it, the death tax, which is fucking bullshit. They, they whine and complain, oh, you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You got you to gotta just work hard and build yourself your own little fortune but they don't seem to have any problems at all with rich assholes being able to give all of their money to their kids and their kids receiving that not as income but just as a as a gift as a happy as a happy thing that they haven't had to do a fuck all for except be born into this privileged rich family but the estate tax and sorry I'm going back to 
back to Grintel here. But the estate tax is not a tax on the dead, as it is a tax on their heirs. Repeal would reverse an important aspect of the American Revolution and establish an American hereditary, an American hereditary aristocracy. If your estate is not above 11 million, your benefits from this portion of the, GO, of the GOP's tax cut will be a nice round number, zero. So anybody who doesn't have $11 million in the bank to give to your kids, fuck you. We're only going to give this benefit to the super wealthy who don't even need it, but we're going to give it to them anyway because we want to keep, we want them to keep as much money as possible. Another portion of the tax bill would eliminate deductions for state and local taxes. The GOP has called these deductions favoritism for people who live in high-tax states. In fact, ending deductibility of state and local taxes would tax income that has already been taxed away from a taxpayer. It is quite simply double taxation. Another point is that repealing the alternative minimum tax, which assures that wealthy people who hire accountants to find all the obscure ways to avoid taxes cannot escape taxation altogether. Repealing it would save Trump himself millions. Extending the pass-through provision to non-corporate businesses, including some 500 entities Trump owns. It would allow the the owners of these businesses to pay taxes at 25% instead of 39.9%. This provision would allow Wall Street fund managers, among other very wealthy people, to pay a lower tax rate than many middle-class Americans pay. Ending the deductibility of large medical expenses. Taxing waived tuition for college students, ending deductibility for student loan payments, and even disallowing teachers from deducting what they spend on school supplies for their students. Which is really just a big fuck you to everybody who's trying to get, who's trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, right? All of these millennials, everybody else who's in college, everybody who's studying and trying to improve their lives are being given the finger by the GOP who who are now saying, not only are we going to do everything we can to make sure the tuition rates remain as high as possible, and we're not going to provide any funding to try to bring those rates down, we're now going to make sure that even if you get a, even if you are a great student, with little to no means, who has been given a scholarship, we're going to treat that scholarship as income for you. Because fuck you, we want the rich people to get all of these tax breaks. Fuck the little people who are trying to improve their lives. We want to keep the rich people rich and keep you as poor as possible. The last point on the Grintel says that ending the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, which would cause 13 million Americans to lose health insurance and result in much higher premiums for those who do get insurance through the exchanges. The Congressional Budget Office has indicated that, if enacted, the Republican tax bill may force deep cuts in Medicare through a generally unknown budget rule that its deficits would trigger. So thank you very much to Taylor for preparing that bit of Grintel for me today. He didn't know he was preparing it for me. I'm I'm just using it because it's a fantastic bit of stuff, man. You all should go out and check out grinandbarrent.com. They have a ton of great news out there that they roll up all the time. I look forward to reading any of any other updates that he's going to be posting out to this in the next couple days. Hey, this is Taylor Grin from GrinandBarrent.com, where we do news, analysis, and commentary. And you're listening to Godless Revolution. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. But that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. There is nothing inherently suspicious about that response at all, except for the sweatiness, the stumbling, and the fact you couldn't even hold eye contact with the camera. 
If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! All right, I want to close out tonight's show on a little lighter news. We've covered a lot of pretty heavy shit tonight. Uh, doing it by myself really fucking sucks, man. <laughs> uh, next week we have a great show lined up. Uh, we've got comedian Ian Harris, who will be our guest. He's got a special that w- that is soon to be released. I believe it comes out on December 12th. And Ian's a very fantastic, funny guy. Should be a lot of fun. I know Ryan will be here. And hopefully Matt will be here. I miss you guys. Hopefully you all have been able to put up with just me. Hopefully I haven't bored you to tears or, I don't know, been stumbling way too much and not having other people be able to fill dead air for me. I don't know how people do this just as themselves or by themselves. That's I I, I admire the people who can do that. Uh, Seth and Thomas and everybody else who just does a one-person show. I don't know that I could do that. Maybe if I did it more often, I would get better at it, but I think this is the only time I've done a solo show, and it's rough, man. I know Chris has done, Chris Reed of Utah Outcasts has done several shows by himself. I am not very good at it, but it's the first time I've had to do it, so hopefully you all will just bear with me for a little bit longer here. Um, It's billboard season! Yay! American Atheist has released their billboards for this year. Um, being a state director here in Utah for American Atheists, I got a bit of a heads up on it a couple days before the billboard announcement was made. And I was very excited because every year they, they have these wonderful billboards that go up that, that rustle the jimmies of all of the religious people in the area. And I think that's fantastic. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why people get so fucking upset by them. They're, they're a fucking billboard. And if you can't, if your religion can't withstand a billboard pointing out that your religion may be crap, then maybe you should re-examine why you want to be in that religion in the first place. I mean, if it can't, if it can't stand up to the scrutiny of a fucking billboard, then you're probably, it's probably a good indication that you should maybe re-examine your beliefs or not even re-examine, but really examine your beliefs and why you believe what you do. Uh, the clip that I'm going to play is about the release of the billboards, and it features uh, commentary, just a brief commentary. It looks like they kind of cut him off during the middle of what he was saying. But uh, brief commentary from American Atheists' uh, Nick Fish. You may remember that we had Nick Fish. Nick Fish. I'm sorry, I'm getting tired, and I'm sick, and my tongue is getting tied, and my throat's getting sore. And it's about time to quit, but we're almost done. We had Nick Fish as a guest on episode 74, uh, titled Nick Fish and the 800-Pound Gorilla Hole. That title came from something that he said during that episode. But uh, I'll play this little clip for you so you have a little better idea of what the billboards are causing. It's a little bit of a stir. Okay, have you seen this yet? It's a billboard that just popped up along I-25 in Albuquerque, and it's already stirring up a lot of controversy because it says, just skip church. It's all fake news. That message is not sitting well with at least one Albuquerque pastor. Kai Porter is live right under that billboard, and he talked to that organization behind it. So, Kai, what's the reasoning for putting that up? 
Hey there, Tesla. Well, the billboard you see behind me just went up yesterday, and it is not the only one. There are two others that just went up, just like it in Dallas, and five more similar ones are about to go up in Oklahoma. And this billboard is already offending some folks here in Albuquerque, but the group behind it says that wasn't their goal. If you're driving north on I-25 near Montgomery, you'll see what already has so many people talking. A billboard that says, just skip church, it's all fake news, next to a nativity scene. Underneath it, happy holidays from American atheists. Some people were calling me and just, pastor, did you see the billboard? Then go, no, I haven't seen it. Richard Mansfield, senior pastor at New Beginnings Church nearby, says the billboard has already offended some of his parishioners who've driven by it. But I think that they're just trying to give a slap in the face to not only the Christian community, but people that have faith and people that have hope. And they're saying, yeah, right. Well, we say, yeah, he's right. We reached out to American atheists and asked if they meant the billboard to be offensive. We want people to realize that we're, we're, we're starting a conversation by being a little bit funny and trying to be a little cheeky about it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, we do want to get a rise out of them, but um, the idea is not to be offensive. Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists, says the billboard's goal is to try and start a conversation by reminding people that there are millions of atheists in the country. We want people to uh, critically think about everything they're being told. Uh, we want people to think about what messages they're getting in church and think about the fact that uh, in this country we often to give, give a really big pass to um, preachers or to churches or to religious beliefs um, that hold really uh, abhorrent views. Some strong words there from the group behind this billboard, and we're told, like it or not, the billboard will stay up until the end of December. Live along I-25, Kai Porter, KOB, Eyewitness News 4. All right, thanks, Kai. Some some disturbing words, or, uh, shit, I can't remember the exact phrase that the reporter used, but that uh, was kind of funny, made me chuckle. Uh, but Nick Fish is awesome. He's super nice, super laid back, very cool guy. Uh, we had a great time with him here on the show. Um, but that will wrap things up for tonight. I had a bunch of other stuff that I had prepared throughout the week that I wanted to talk about that maybe we'll cover in the next episode. Um, but the, this week's news was just too much, man. I had to, I had to get through that. And then we have some other funny stuff that maybe we'll cover next week, along with having Ian Harris as our special guest for the episode. So something for you all to look forward to. I hope everything is going well for you. Before I go, I want to make sure that I thank our Patreon subscribers. We have a new one this week, Ms. Michelle Short, who is one of the co-chapter heads of the Satanic Temple in Arizona. Uh, Christy Kalbach, Camille Borowski, Numania, Alan Firth, Gatheist, Larry Wilson, Marius Kott-Butrakowski, Dr. Dan, Matt's boss from the 2SC podcast to whom we pledge loyalty, and apparently, who is a smoking poker guy, Super good at that the uh, playing of the cards and stuff and junk and won a won a little tournament there across the pond that apparently was very he's very proud of. I guess I would be too if I won a poker tournament like that. Uh, Janet Uter, let them eat Kofefe, Stephen Andrus, Utah Outcasts, Tim Jacobson, and I do want to get back to that conversation we were having in the Godless Revolution community group on Facebook, Tim. 
You you made some points that are very interesting things to think about, but I think you're wrong. I haven't I haven't expressed exactly why yet because I've been short on time and there's just been so much going on. But I do want to try to return to that. Maybe we can have you as a guest uh, sometime soon to talk about your views on free will and quantum stuff. Uh, Matt Tuller, Rob Otto, and Matt, I hope you're enjoying the uh, Cards Against Humanity thing. Hopefully you got your first mailer for that. Uh, Megan Kennedy, Andrew Vodapich, Brandy Hamrick, Jeremy Goodson, Angelica Pearson, Wes Aaron, Purple Dragon, and Taylor Grin. Thank you all very, very much. If you too would like to become a Patreon supporter of the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution and pledging as little as a dollar per episode for extended uh, shows, uh, extra shows that we release from time to time, early access to the shows, all good kinds of stuff. So head on over there and do that if you can. We would greatly appreciate you doing so. Thank you all very much for tuning in tonight. There will not be an extra portion of the show because I want to Get up and edit this and get it out to everybody as soon as possible, and I'm not feeling very well. <clears throat> so I'm going to end things here and go upstairs and finish editing and get it posted as soon as possible. So until next week, crucify that like button, leave a review to achieve nirvana, and rate the show five times a day toward Mecca. On the turning away From the pale and downtrodden And the words they say which we won't understand Don't accept that what's happening Is just a case of all the suffering Oh, you'll find that you're joining in the turning away It's a sin that somehow Light is changing to shadow And casting its shroud over On the way